0: Well, good morning. Welcome to Timberwood today. Glad to see you all here. And we invite you to stand. Let's all sing together.
1: Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Timberwood Church. I'm Amy Labar, the Children's Ministry Coordinator. It feels like winter, but we're not gonna skip November. We are still going to have our Thanksgiving service on Tuesday the 24th, and in order to do that, we are going to need your participation. We will be filming our Thanksgiving videos, and so if you would like to share what you are thankful for in this year, we have three dates. Um, we will be starting on November 8th, that's a Sunday, so it'll be during services. We'll do it on um, the 11th, which is Wednesday, and then again on the 15th on a Sunday. So if you're interested and you would like to be part of that service, we would love to get a video um, of you sharing your Thanksgiving, and um, that would be part of our service. In the seat in front of you you have this card this is our connect card we would love to know that you are here if you're visiting if you're checking us out if you've been here for years and years and years we would love to know that you are here with us on the back side of it is a spot for you to share a prayer or a praise Uh, you can drop it in the offering basket on the way out um, on the other side of the double doors There are multiple groups of people not just in church or that come to church but throughout our faith community that would love to lift you in prayer this week join me now for prayer father thank you for this morning thank you for the beauty of the snow even though most of us might not be quite ready for it lord i just thank you for the opportunity to be here together that we are able to worship and love you in this way lord i pray that all of the distractions of what is going on around us could just be quieted in our hearts and in our minds this morning, that we would be able to focus solely on you, that your spirit would just place a peace upon us, that we would be ready to receive your love and have a deeper understanding of what that love means and what it looks like and what you want from us. Lord, I pray that as we go out into our community that we would be able to reflect your love that we we would be able to reflect your grace and your peace, and that those that we interact with would, would be able to see you and your love in and through us. Lord, this morning we want to honor you and worship you with this prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name.
0: We invite you to stand. Let's sing together to our mighty fortress. strong. I am not a captive to
2: your good manners list, uh, please, a thank you. Maybe, uh, maybe uh, open the door for someone else. Maybe not being first in line. I worked for this guy once who, if there was a line, he was going to be at the front of the line. And I'm like always thinking to myself, dude, like be an example to the rest of your church. <laughs> like maybe let someone else go first. You know, it's just the weirdest thing. Not interrupting. Okay, that's a good one. Please, uh, thank you. A thank you note. A thank you email. A thank you text. Don't pick your nose in front of someone else. Good manners. Although if you like do one of these, let's see if you get away with it then. Like sneezing, sneeze into a Kleenex. <coughs> it's like a mask. Like if you're covid then do this. That's, that's just good manners, right? It's just an it, inside voice, okay? That's good manners. Own your mistakes. You know, some people lack the capacity when confronted with the reality of a mistake. They lack the capacity to say, please forgive me. I mean, just, you know, be gracious. It's just good manners. Texting manners, okay? So there's this article this last week in uh, the uh, Time Magazine, and basically it's by Lynn steger and it's about moms and um, texting one another text groups. It starts off when S, she identifies her friends by first initials, not their full names, when S got COVID-19, letting us know on a group text we had mostly used to schedule dinners. We all texted her privately to tell her she'd be fine, to comfort her, to ask her how she was, etc., etc., cetera. Et cetera, et cetera. Then she's talking about um, educating, okay, educating uh, young children at home. On another group, we traded access to different educational apps and programs that most of us never (laughs) ended up using. After March and April, most of us just texted expletives to one another, (laughs) Moms teaching kids at home. Jay texted a picture of herself chugging wine <laughs> straight from a bottle. Maybe you've been there. Maybe you felt like, hey, that's not a hap. D texted us when her husband lost his job. And I reached out when a friend got furloughed. We complained about our children, about our partners, about our government. We asked one another what in the H was going on. So texting etiquette, okay? What would be the texting etiquette? Okay, there's a list of texting etiquette rules at userlike.com. Number one, thou shalt not ghost. Um, One, you can't be, two, you can't be impatient. Don't text an essay. Have you ever gotten one of these where someone, like, texts you and it's, like, shows up as, like, three or four or five windows? You're like, just, just... Just email or pick up a phone or something. I, I want my text to be, if I'm going to get one, to be short, concise, to the point. Use emojis appropriately. Be clear. Check spelling and grammar. I never do that one. I just don't overuse abbreviations. I overuse abbreviations all the time. Thou shalt not accidentally text the wrong person, <laughs> which is closely related to this one. Thou shalt only text when in a clear state of mind. Only when you're sober, one might argue, you should text. And then thou shalt follow Hanlon's razor. You might ask what Hanlon's razor is. Hanlon's razor is similar to Oakham's razor. We've talked about Oakham. He was this, I think that's 12th century philosopher, the northern part of Africa. He's this Arabian great mind. Oakham's razor is cut away all the fat, cut away all the excess. Just get to the, the essence of what is going on. So a corollary is Hanlon's razor. And here it is. Never attribute to malice that which is adequately explained by stupidity. So you get a text and you look at it and you're like, who in the world would say something like this? Yeah, don't think they're mad at you, just think they're dumb. It's better. It's gonna get you to a better spot in a more quickly, more quick fashion. Don't assume malice, just assume stupidity. Okay, memory work, we're ready. Philippians 1.2, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, right? Philippians 1.8, how I yearn for you with the affection of Jesus Christ. Philippians 1.9, and I pray that your grace would abound. No, love would abound, right. Love would abound more and more. 1.18, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed and in that I greatly rejoice and then last week um, we did 20 and 21 and I always need a little help as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed but with full courage now as always that Christ will be honored in my body whether in my life or my death, for to live is Christ and to die is gain. And then this last week. I said last week, last time, but that was incorrect. Last week, this time. Just a short phrase. That we would progress, progress, and joy, progress and joy in the faith. That we experience progress and experience joy in the faith. All right. 27. 27. Chapter 1, we're going to end chapter 1 today, but really chap, verse 27 is, a, is really more arguably a part of what's going to happen in chapter 2. Suffice it to say, the numbers aren't the inspired word of God, only the words are. That being said, 27, 28, 29, 30 is one sentence. I, I know I like Paul now. Run on sentences. Just doesn't even take a breath, just goes for it. of the gospel. It starts only, but it really doesn't do justice to the word that Paul uses that we translate only. It's like only, but Paul's like grabbing his audience by the lapels of their coats and shaking them and saying, "This is the most important thing that's on the table, above everything else. At all costs, here's the thing that I want you to hear." And there are these bold strokes that life manners matter. How to live your life, our lives, how we live matters to God. And Paul says, here's the deal. Let the manner of your life be worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Manner of the life, okay, life manners. It's an interesting word, okay? Um, it's, it's the Greek word politimo, okay? And the Greek word politimo, if you hear the word politics in there, it, 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 it's because it exists, all right? It, it's basically a word that you would describe to, um, to articulate the expectations of a citizen of Rome, okay? So you would say the politimo, okay, the, the expectations of being a citizen in Rome, okay? Paul uses this word in a non-governmental context. The manner of your life, the politima, the, the, the citizenship, how a citizen should act. You have to remember, Paul is writing to the church at Philippi. Philippi is a very proud Roman com- colony. It's, it's a very proud Roman town. They, they wore their Roman citizenship on their chest. It was a badge that was front and center. It was a big deal. They were named the town for, by a former Caesar. So Paul uses this word that would have been used to describe the responsibilities that a Roman citizen would have to the empire. Except he says it's not about Rome. It's about being a citizen of heaven, being a citizen of Jesus Christ. Live as citizens, not of Rome, but Jesus. Live as though the cause of Christ were the most important thing. Behavior that merits recognition. Paul is arguing that their behavior should reflect well on Jesus, every part of their behavior. Whether they're posting on Facebook, or whether they're engaged in a conversation at the grocery store, or whether they're at home, their behavior should focus on Jesus. You may say they didn't have Facebook in the first century. You're right. You're listening. I appreciate that. But we have it today, don't we? When we think in terms of the essentials of life, what is most essential? And when we think in terms of the essentials of the faith, we can ask the same question What is critical? From a biblical perspective, what is the most critical thing that we can do? Paul says, here it is, above all, this thing and only this thing, to behave in a way that reflects well on Jesus Christ. And closely related, how do we move people closer to Jesus by virtue of our lives? How do we engage in that discourse? I mean, it's so easy, right? It, it's so easy for us to identify ourselves by some means that are temporal. We identify ourselves as a, a libertarian or a progressive or a liberal or a conservative, a Republican, a Democrat. In, in two weeks, we're going to have this big, big thing that goes on, right? And people are going to draw lines and some of us are like here and some of us are like here and some of us are like, I don't know where I should be. to to, to a group of people where citizenship in in a proud country was the most important thing, he says it's not. It's not the most important thing. Being a follower of Christ is the most important thing. Paul says, whether I visit you or I'm absent from you, I want to hear about you. I, I want to hear the good stance, the unity. I want to hear about your mind and your spirit. Literally, the Greek words, pneuma and psyche. One pneuma, one psyche, one mind, one spirit. It's a phrase that wouldn't have been terribly comfortable or familiar in the ancient Near Eastern world. Even though there was this sense of of, of citizenship in Rome, it was more allegiance to the emperor, more allegiance to the Caesar. It was less about being unified in your, in your mind and in your soul to a common purpose. And so even though the phrase is something that makes sense to us today, it would have been revolutionary in the first century when Paul says, one psyche, one pneuma. I want you to be together. I, I want this to be the distinguishing characteristic in your life. For Paul, it is decidedly Christ-centric unity because of identity in Jesus, not a political identity, a spirit of unity found only in a meaningful way in Christ. And please know there's lots of other spirits of unity that are not eternal. There's there's hunting, there's fishing. You find someone that really likes to fish and you're like, man, you can talk all day or, or, or this person who enjoys knitting or raising chickens. You know, if you find someone that likes to raise chickens as much as you like to raise chickens, I mean, you can talk for hours about raising chickens or politically we can find unity. But they're temporary things. Sooner or later, the chicken's going to die and end up in a pot. Paul says, I want to draw your attention to a unity that is eternal. One pneuma, one psyche, striving for the faith of the gospel. I would say, if you want to post something on Facebook this afternoon or this week or in the next two weeks leading up to this election, post something about how Jesus Christ has made a difference in your life. Post something that has eternal value. Please, please, don't post anything that is a temporal reality that's going to go away in a few years. As followers of Christ, I encourage you to show your true identity, to be unified about this thing, identity in Christ and the faith of the gospel, contending not for something temporal but eternal. Paul says, I want to hear about you, your good stance, your unity. I want to to hear that you're contending for the gospel. And then I want to make sure you're not freaked out. Verse 28. And here's where you can choose what you want to do for a memory verse next week. You can either do 27, which is really good stuff, or or you can do 28, whichever you choose, up to you. Verse 28. And not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction but of your salvation and that from God. It was April 8th, 2000. You were watching it, weren't you? Saturday Night Live. Well, you've seen it since then. Will Farrell, more cowbell. It's just absolutely breathtaking. And and part of it is the fact that the cowbell is there, but part of the fact is that Will Ferrell is wearing a shirt that's like five sizes too small, and it kind of creeps up, and his belly meat kind of hangs out, and it's just, you're just like, I'll just turn it off. Just shut it. But it's like an accident. You can't look away. And it's all about the creation, Blue Oyster Cult, which an interesting note aside, Of all of the bands and of all the rock and roll that I listened to, Blue Oyster Cult was one CD that I never purchased, okay? One record that I never owned. I was always like, "Ah, I want that. And I'm like, nah, I can't buy that. It was something about the name Blue Oyster Cult that I was like, oh, I really want, nah, I shouldn't touch that. Even though I love the sound, love the vibe, I could never purchase a Blue Oyster Cult record, CD, tape, etc., etc., etc. The song that was parodied on April 8, 2000 was the don't fear the reaper. Don't fear the reaper. You know, da na ta-na-na-na-na, na 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 ching ching ching. Paul's like exactly. You know what I mean? To fear. Don't, don't be frightened. The Greek word for frightened is the same word that you would use to describe a like a runaway horse or a, a, a stampede of horses. Okay, where they're just like they're just like so freaked out they're. <praff Indianapolis> You know, or a horse that you can't control that wants nothing more than to get the rider off its back. Paul's like, Paul's like, don't be out of control, don't be frightened. A friend of mine was over at my house the other night. He doesn't like big German shepherds. I have a big German shepherd. He wanted to pet Zella, not because he liked big German shepherds, but well, to quote N.T. Wright, you just need to prove to yourself the big dog isn't that big. We don't have to fear. It seems like we so often trade in fear. And it seems like our temporal citizenship, okay, that we advocate on Facebook and other places is almost run by fear. If my guy doesn't get in, if my guy doesn't get in, something bad is going to happen and it's going to be the end of all things and all this kind of stuff. And no, no. For the follower of Jesus Christ, you don't have to fear You're like, what if bad things happen? Bad things happen in the world. That has happened since the beginning of the world. What if I die? Paul says that's gain. That's profit. We don't have to fear. We don't have to be freaked out. We don't even have to be worried about opposition. The people who oppose Jesus Christ What they're really doing is giving a a hint, an omen, a precursor to their own destruction. But you, me, us, if our identity is in Jesus Christ, our salvation, you don't have to worry. There's nothing to worry about. One of the reasons why I like reading the New York Times is that you get headlines like this. There are two ways out of a frog. This beetle chose the back door. I mean, you just don't read that in the Star Tribune. Headline number two, how beetles that live underwater breathe without a scuba tank. I mean, that's just like, you don't, I mean, you don't find that kind of reporting. Toads eat beetles. Sometimes beetles make them regret their meal choice. Okay? So each and every week, um, the New York Times has this section under the silence, uh, section called, uh, I think it's called trilobites or something like that. This last week's article is this headline, Meet the Diabolical Ironclad Beetle. It's almost uncrushable. And then what it talks about is a Dr. Jesus Rivera, who in 2015 took the ironclad beetle okay, and basically put it on the sidewalk and put a little dirt around it so it wouldn't scamper away and then drove over it with a cam- Camry. Twice. And then they picked up the beetle, and the beetle's just fine, because it's an ironclad beetle. Like, you can drive over it with a car, and it won't kill the beetle, okay? The equivalent of the force against the beetle was 39,000 times its body weight. That's the equivalent, like, if I was laying on the floor, okay, and you put 25 blue whales on top of me. I mean, it's just like you would—I would be liquefied. I'd be like jelly. I would just be like ooze and pus and just all sorts of weird stuff on the stage. It would just there's nothing. So what happened? Sometime along the way, the uh, ironclad beetle has this exoskeleton, okay, that if you think kind of like back to the chicken metaphor, it's kind of like an industrial-strength egg, okay? So you've got the hard exterior, and then you've got the soft, yolky goodness on the middle and the inside, okay? And that's the stuff you want to protect. And basically, this exterior, okay, enables... The beetle to withstand tremendous amounts of force. And if you cut the beetle in half and the cross section, you see these little lines, kind of like with an agate, where you'll see little lines, okay? But an agate's fragile, okay? You see little concentric lines that, that add to its strength. And then where the beetle in the back meets, one half, left half, and right half, there's these interlocking connection points, okay? So basically, if you put a camry on top of the beetle, the beetle kind of flexes, but it doesn't break. It's the coolest thing in the world. Absolutely outstanding. The part of the beetle that matters is protected by the shell. And God says, exactly. That's exactly what I do for you. I protect you. In another place in the Bible, Jesus says, okay, it's like you have a hand of God. Literally, Jesus says, I have my hand out. You're a little speck of dust. I put you right there, okay? And then my father comes over the top of this, okay? And nothing is going to take you out. You are protected. Doesn't matter if a car runs over you. Doesn't matter if a blue whale lays on top of you. Paul says, God has got us. And again, we say, well, what if I die? And Paul's like, (laughs) death is gain. Salvation from God, the ultimate armor. The text concludes verse 29 and 30. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. It's an odd combination, believe and suffer. It's been granted to you. We like grants, right? Different kinds of grants, land grants, Pell grants, renewable energy grants, even Ulysses grants. A grant is is a gift, okay? It's something to get in order to get something that is valuable. And when the Bible says there is a belief grant, it has been granted to you to believe, we're like, yay, that's awesome. And then in the next phrase when Paul says, and there's a suffering grant, we say, no, thank you, I don't want that. And yet, Paul draws this equality between belief and suffering. And here, suffering isn't a punishment. It's a privilege. Paul talks that that belief and suffering are both gifts from God. To believe, to suffer for Christ. It's one of the problems, I think, of Western Christianity Because we're willing to believe and fight. We want to believe in Jesus, and then we want to fight for our rights. And someone in the first service wanted to say, fight for your right too. Okay, I'm not going to do it because that's just too cheesy, right? I think in Western Christianity, we want to believe and fight, but we're not so willing to believe and suffer. And I think, in part, we've gotten soft. If you had to choose, believe and fight or believe and suffer, which do you think are more reflective of Jesus and his life? I'd give you a hint if I thought you needed one. And finally, again, verse 30. Engaged in the same conflict, starting with 29 for context. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now here that I still have. Paul says we join the suffering and we get it. We get it because we get it. We get it because we experience it. It's a powerful thing to engage and acts of empathy in the current issue of national geographic i think it's a current issue let me just double check on that yeah the october issue of national geographic on the cover it's got reimagining dinosaurs i really like the dinosaurs today like when i was growing up the dinosaurs were just like kind of gross green colored scaly not all that we got dinosaurs that have red on them now and feathers and all kinds of school i just really groove on the new dinosaurs At any rate, there's a series of uh, photo essays, okay? And and they are entitled, Stranger Fruit. And basically, what the photo essays show is a picture of a mother with her son, and they're posed in a death pose. Kind of like, think of the Basilica, the Mary of the Pieta, okay, where, where Mary is sitting and Jesus is, okay. Now, no one has died in the photograph, but but it creates this photographic story right of a mother holding a child in many cases an adult child in a death pose and the design is to make you reflect and to engage in empathy and, and wonder what would it be like to lose a child i have an older brother who's who had a son who died i know some of you have lost children I know some of us have had miscarriages. But the photos br- bring this point, okay, of h- h- what would it be like to hold your dead child? Now, now to be sure, to, to engage in empathy it is a hard thing to do. To put ourselves in a position where someone else is suffering To put ourselves in a position where someone else, and to to try to understand their loss, to understand their pain? Many times we say, no thanks, I'd rather not. But Paul says, no, you're joining me in the suffering. And you get it, because you're experiencing it. And even in that, there is this thread of unity in the cause of Christ and this resounding sense that Paul gives of let's do this together. Please pray with me. Father, we come to you, and the text is challenging to be sure. It's so easy to create, to conjure up temporal identities, some that we think are so important. But your word through Paul's hand would suggest otherwise. That the only politics that matter are your politics. The only identity that is eternal is the one that is found in your son, Jesus Christ. Remind us of that ideal, Father. Remind us that we don't have to be afraid. Remind us that you have us and are protecting us. And remind us that it is both a privilege, that it is a privilege to both believe and to suffer. Father, work in our hearts. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.
0: We invite you to please stand and let's sing as we close today.
3: I am surrounded We'll see.
2: on the vibes so yeah jet and sitting in with us today elia on the drum kit and then gunner on the bass and debbie on the keys we got eli Er, ernie rather on lead guitar you know lee sue kyle yeah it's nothing complex paul doesn't have new ground to till He's just arguing that Jesus Christ is everything. Go with that challenge. Go with the confidence that if we are in Christ, our lives, our salvation is secure. In Jesus' name, amen.